couple of verses tonight out of chapter number two. I want to read some out of chapter three. We won't get that far. But in our midst of seeing what John saw, I'm glad he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been preaching on the rapture, the soon return, the revelation. And I enjoyed preaching on the four hallelujahs. That when the saints of God break out, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And uh, we, we've already covered some of the, where he saw the church. Uh, but I want to go back and get a, just a quick look at chapter 2 and 3. And I want you to look at it this way, God's promise to the church. When I say the church, I mean the body, the building, the bride of Christ. Those since Pentecost that have received Christ as their Savior, washed in the blood, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, the church, the body, the building, the bride of Christ. And in chapters 2 and 3, he not only deals with seven local specific assemblies, churches, but he deals with, to me, a bird's eye view of the entire church age. When it is birthed in Pentecost power, and in right before the coming of the Lord, the days of apostasy or falling away. Now, there are three prevalent things that you will find in all seven of these churches. Number one, you find a problem. In all seven of these churches, he shows them their problem, whether it's false doctrine, whether it's leaving their first love, whether it's becoming lukewarm. He gives them the problem. And by the way tonight, nobody can diagnose the problem any better than the Lord Jesus Christ who knows it all. And so you'll find the problem. But this is what I love about it. In all seven of these churches, number two, you'll find the prescription. He not only tells you what the problem is, but he tells you what to do about it, how to fix the problem. And that's why seven times he made this urgent request. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. And I'm glad there's no society, there's no nation, there's no church that has a problem that God doesn't have a prescription for. And if we'll follow God's prescription, the problem can be solved. Uh, I, there are people everywhere that pay big money to go to a doctor and they will let that doctor tell them what's wrong and they will let that doctor write them a prescription. And then they'll go home and forget what the doctor said and not take the medicine. I won't ever forget everybody telling Miss Julie, now you make sure Brother Joe does what the doctor says. Now listen, you ain't going to believe it coming from me. But if I'm going to pay my hard-earned money to go to that doctor, I'm going to do everything he says to the nth degree. The only thing I've not done yet, he told me I had to lose 30 pounds and I've only lost 29 and a half. But I'm going to work on that half. If uh, a certain lady at our church will quit making homemade 
cream horns, that your tongue will slap your brains out just to smell, much less taste. Sharon may be young, but she cooks like an old person. Say amen. But I don't see any sense going to the doctor and spending hard-earned money and not doing what he says. And if I can put my physical body into the hands of a man that I don't know, if I can put my physical future in the hands of somebody, I've just got to take at face value what he says. By the way, now doc, Donna, don't you tell my doctor I said this, but that practicing medicine, that's what they're doing. They're practicing on you. And they're charging for it. Someone says, I can't understand the doctor's prescription, what it says. I'm going to tell you what it says. It says to the druggist, I got my money, now it's your turn to get yours. But how many of you agree with me tonight? If I can put my physical life and my physical future into the hands of somebody I don't know, just taking their word for it. I can put my eternal destiny in the hand of a man that I do know. And that I trust with all of my heart. And so God seven times diagnoses a problem and seven times he gives a prescription. And then the third thing you'll find in every one of these churches is a promise. After he gives you the problem, after he gives you the prescription, then he gives you a promise. And it's always conditional. God said, if you will, I will. You do what I ask you to do, and I will do what I said I'm going to do. By the way, the promise of salvation is very much conditional. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The condition is, I must call upon the name of the Lord. Paul told the Philippian jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You do the believing, God does the saving. You do the calling, God does the saving. You do the trusting, God does the saving. Well, seven times he not only diagnoses the problem, writes a prescription, but seven times he makes a promise. And seven times he uses this promise under the umbrella of this word, overcome. He that overcometh, he that overcomes, God said, I will do this. And can I say tonight, in a world that will overwhelm us, we're not overwhelmed, we're overcomers. Satan, the world, and the flesh will overcome us with lust, pride, grief, depression, anxiety, disappointment, all kind of things the world can use to overwhelm and overcome our faith. But the Bible reminds us that faith is the victory that overcometh the world. And Paul reminds us in Romans 8 that we are not conquered but we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. So God's people are overcomers. We are overcomers. 
He says in the book of the Revelation, I think the 13th chapter, and they overcame him, the devil, by the word of God and the blood of the Lamb. John said, who are they? John said, there are those that overcame him. And I'm glad we are overcomers. And in chapters 2 and chapter number 3, there are seven promises or seven blessings to being an overcomer. I've entitled the little study, It'll Be Worth Every Mile of the Trip. Because no matter how dark the path the writer paints, no matter how deep and dark the problem that he tells us about in the church, if we will take the prescription and obey the Lord, brother, the promises he has made to the church are unbelievable. And whatever minuscule thorn in the flesh or problems in life, setbacks and disappointments we may have to go through, the promise that God made to the overcomer, honey, it's worth every mile of the trip. Let me just read them to you quickly, and I'm going to go back and deal with just one, and then we'll change the order. God uses seven things to show us these seven promises to the overcomer. Chapter 2, verse 7, he uses a tree. Chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, he uses a crown. Chapter 2, verse 17, he uses a stone. Chapter 2, verse 28, he uses a star. Chapter 5 and verse 3, he uses a white robe. Chapters 3 and verse 12, he uses a pillar in the temple. And in chapter 3 and verse 21, he uses a seat that we will sit at the right hand with our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. So God says, I promise if you are an overcomer, you'll have a tree, you'll have a crown, you'll have a stone, you'll have a star, You'll have a white robe, you'll have a pillar, and you'll have a seat with me at the right hand of the Lamb of God. And you go home tonight and remember those verses and look at the promises that God has made to the church. I want you to come tonight to chapter number 2 and verse number 7. And I just want to deal with one of these promises, and it's called a tree. The tree of life. Notice how the Holy Spirit words it in chapter 2, Revelation, verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You ready? To him that overcometh. Will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. He said, if you overcome, I will let you eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, before you can understand it, let me take you on a little journey. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Ain't that deep. But isn't it amazing in the first book of the Bible, 
one of the first things you see is a tree. And in the last book of the Bible, one of the last things you see is a tree. One tree in the beginning and one tree at the end. But isn't it amazing that right smack dab in the middle of the first tree and the final tree is another tree. You know, the cross reaches out in two directions. I believe one arm of that cross points to the first tree. And the other arm of that cross points to the final tree. You remember the first tree was in an earthly paradise. But this final tree is in a heavenly paradise. At this first tree, there was only two people, Adam and Eve. But at this final tree, there is a number which no man can number. Now, even though both of these trees are referred to as the tree of life, in reality, the first tree is where somebody died. The final tree is where somebody is going to live forever. How do you get from the tree where some died, where something died, do you get to the final tree where they're going to live forever? Because of the tree that stands in the middle. Mm. At that first tree, there's one word that describes it. Disobedience. At this second or last or final tree, there is one word that describes it, obedience. Those that were at the first tree disobeyed. Those that are at the final tree have obeyed. And how do you get from being disobedient to obedient? The tree that stands in the middle. At that first tree, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But at that final tree, but the gift of God is eternal life. How do I go from all have sinned and come short of the glory of God to the gift of God is eternal life because of that tree that is in the middle. Amen. At that first tree, man had a debt that he could not pay. At that final tree, his debt has been totally rolled away. And how do you go from a debt that you cannot pay to a debt that has been rolled away? The tree in the middle is where Jesus 
paid it all. Hallelujah. At that first tree, it's almost like a barrier. It's almost like you can't come here because of your debt, because of your disobedience, because of your defilement. You are cast outside of the garden. You are thrust outside of the garden. And this lost, depraved, sinful man cannot have access no longer to the paradise of God on earth because the tree says you are X'd out. But yet this tree in the heavenly paradise of God is like a welcoming call. Welcome to glory. Welcome to the paradise. Welcome to the tree of life where if you eat it, you will live forever. And how do we go from a tree that banishes us and expels us to a tree that receives us and welcomes us Because the tree in the middle, he died for our sin. And because of that, we now have access to the final tree because of the debt Jesus paid on the tree that stands in the middle. At that first tree, when Eve and Adam ate of that fruit, they were cast out of the garden. But at this final tree, we are welcomed into the garden. And how do we go from being cast out to welcomed in? Because that tree in the middle was where we put our faith and we put our trust. It seemed like the whole world sobs in grief. At the first tree. And the whole world shouts and says hallelujah. At the final tree. How do we go from sobbing to shouting. From mourning to singing. How do we go from defeat to victory. Because there is a tree in the middle. And Calvary covers it all. Now let me just remind you. You can't leave that first tree where all is in and come short of the glory of God and get over there to that other tree where everyone lives forever. You can't do that and bypass that tree in the middle. Because that's where God takes sin in one hand and the Savior in the other hand and brings them together. And Colossians 1.23 said, Having made peace through the blood of His cross. And that's why I can say to you tonight, I have access to that tree which is in the midst of the paradise of God forever because I've taken my place at the tree called Calvary. Let me give you something to chew on this week. And you might just have a shouting spell most any time if it hits you just right. Adam and Eve were in that garden. Now I know this is unpopular, but Eve ate that fruit first. The devil deceived her. 
Adam was not deceived. He walked into it with his eyes wide open. Now, for you women, don't you let no man blame that on you. Because I've heard people say, Adam blamed his wife. No, he did not. He did not blame his wife. You read what Adam said. He did not blame his wife. He blamed God. He said, God, the woman you gave me. He didn't say, that woman right there, God, that one right there, that one right there. So ladies, quit blaming him. Sir, quit blaming her. You're just sorry all by yourself. He said, Lord, God, that woman you gave me. He's not blaming his wife. He's blaming God. But did you know that Adam and Eve were one in that garden? And even though Eve sinned first, even though Eve ate the fruit First, even though Eve disobeyed God first, she was never cast out of the garden until her head sinned. And then when Adam, who was her head, when he sinned, then they both were expelled and banished at the same time. You say, what has that got to do with us? Well, let's come to the new covenant, the last Adam. He has a bride and the saved. That's who we are. And we may falter, we may fail, and we may sin. We may falter, we may fail, we may flub the dove, and I'm telling you, mess it up. But I will not be banished from the family. I will not be banished from the kingdom. I will not be banished from the paradise of God until my head, Jesus Christ, sins. And guess what? He never will. He never has before. It is not going to start tonight. I'll be welcome in the paradise of God as long as Jesus doesn't sin. And guess what? He never will. Hallelujah. For the tree in the midst of the paradise of God. I will be there, present, welcomed, and accounted for, and enjoying the blessing. Because between the two trees of life and death, right and wrong, earth and heaven, rebellion and obedience, stands another tree. And hanging on that tree is my price payer, my peace speaker, my demand meter, my judgment taker, my redeemer, my justifier. And I'm glad because I've received him as my Lord and my Savior. I have access 
to the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What man could not do and stay at under that old covenant because of Calvary and because of the gospel and because of the blood will be there. Not because we're Baptists, not because we're Americans, not because of our any work that we have done, but because we took our place at the tree. We have a place at the tree of life. When I see Jesus smile and hear him say, well done, my child, it'll be worth every mile of the trip. So all I got to say tonight is, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What a Savior. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for salvation.